Welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast with Dave Roberts. A unique skill all humans have is the ability to share information across generations. And the Teaching Journeys podcast does just that. It creates learning opportunities with each amazing guest with a goal that each episode makes a positive impact on people worldwide. Before we hear from today's guest, please share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, and today I am honored to have as my guest, Amy Castro. Amy Castro is a professional speaker and trainer who is the president of Starlight Outreach and Rescue, a 501c3 nonprofit animal rescue located outside of Houston, Texas. She's also the host of the new podcast for pet parents, Starlight Pet Talk. Amy, welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here today. Well, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Uh, it's my pleasure. I, we met, I think we, we were mutual. We were mutually referred to each other by a colleague. And yes. I think we, we connected and, you know, I... I one thing led to another, and I talked to Amy about being a guest on her podcast, so this has led us to this moment, and um, I'm sure we'll have future conversations down the road as well, too, so, because no, it, sure. it, it wasn't any coincidence that, I, that we connected, so. I agree, I agree. <laughs> yep, and today we're going to explore the world of really what you do with animal rescue and how that works out and the challenges and the, and the joys and, and just everything our listeners need to know about what's involved in animal rescue, and specifically how to determine whether the right rescue pet or whether the right rescue pet is right for them. Um, right. So we're going to go into a, a, whole, a variety of different things, and we'll see where the conversation leads. All right. But any, anyway, let's, uh, let's get down to it. Um, so tell our listeners, Amy, if you would, about the event or events that have gotten you to this moment, that have gotten you to the point now where you are the president of Starlight Outreach and Rescue. Well, I, I think, I've, I, you know, I've always had an affinity for, you know, with animals and for animals. And uh, I, I have always had a special place in my heart for unwanted things. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but my, my family says I have this thing called, which I made up the term, pumpkins without stem syndrome. And so, because as a kid, if I, you know, when we'd go to the pumpkin patch to go pick a pumpkin in the fall for Halloween, I always wanted to take home that one that was, you know, not quite perfect, didn't have a stem, had some warts. I always felt bad for that one and wanted to bring it home. And I think that has kind of carried through a lot of things, you know, and, and the need to rescue animals that are maybe unwanted or imperfect or, you know, struggling along the way. So that, that definitely was part of it. But the actual rescue itself and, and taking that leap from just volunteering at my local animal shelter, which I did for many years, and starting the rescue unfortunately was triggered by a tragedy. One of my volunteers, I was the head volunteer at our local shelter and one of the little girls that volunteered, she was a freshman in high school, uh, she died very suddenly and, uh, and tragically. And it was in that moment when her mother notified me that Emma had passed away that I just like a light, I hate to say a light bulbs went off cause it's so cliche, but 
I knew immediately that yes, I was going to start a rescue. I knew I was going to call it Starlight Outreach and Rescue because Emma's middle name was Starlight. And everything just kind of, I even had a vision of what the logo was going to look like. I, it sounds crazy, but it just, it was the thing that just pushed me to do something in her honor and to do more than what I could accomplish just being a volunteer. I shouldn't say just being a volunteer, but being a volunteer under the municipal shelter umbrella where there are limitations to what you can do. And, you know, I think, you know, just the way that everything came together um, after Emma's, Emma's death, tragic death, it's just everything flowed very intuitively. And it's like you had the, the vision almost immediately. It was an inspired vision. And you're not the Absolutely. first person, you're not the first person I've talked to who has been, if, been affected by profound tragedy and has been inspired almost effortlessly and seamlessly to do something in memory of that person and with that that person. So I, I think it's very inspiring that that you got to the point that you did and how you got there. Can you tell me can you tell me a little bit what are some of the services that Starlight Outreach and Rescue provide? What do you provide to individuals who are looking to get a rescue pet? Oh, that's, that's a great question. And, and, you know, that's really tied to the reason we call it Starlight Outreach and Rescue, because I feel like we do more than just, well, I know we do more than just rescuing animals off the street. So we, you know, we, number one, we support our local area shelters. We do fostering for them if they've got, you know, a situation where they've got too many animals and maybe those animals are at risk of being euthanized. We will take those, either transfer those uh, animals to our program or take them in temporarily. We also provide a lot of fundraising for medical support because most of the time shelters, you know, your average city or county shelter in your community has either no budget or a very limited budget for actually providing medical treatment for animals. So we provide that. Um, you know, we, we provide for our adopters a lifelong uh, basically lifelong support, whether it's calling with questions, having concerns, transitioning the animal into the home. We provide a lot of support in that way. And we also provide a lifetime return guarantee for lack of a better term. Uh, we feel like the animals that we take through our door, although we might pass them on to somebody else, that they are always going to be our responsibility. And that comes back to us. So if anybody finds themselves in a situation where they are, um, unable to care for their pet or they become, you know, hospitalized and, and, you know, there's nobody to care for the pet. We will take the pet back. No, no questions asked. Uh, so we, we do that. And we also do a lot of outreach in our community. We, I, I personally believe, and I think my board is on board with it is that, uh, if, if you're a good person and you love your pet and you're trying to do right by it, but perhaps you're not in a financial situation to do that right now, that doesn't mean you should have to give up your pet because too many times we get calls from people who are in difficult situations for a variety of reasons and they just want to surrender their pet to us because they can't do it on their own mm -hmm. and my my thing is always to find out well why do they want to surrender their pet what can we do to help that person assuming they love their pet and actually want to keep it to keep that pet in a home that they know and with somebody that they love I, I think it's great, Amy, that you are there with the, the pet owner f for the long run, that you provide services, you have that lifetime guarantee, that you provide ongoing support. That's something, you know, that's something that I think is, to me, and you will know this better than me, seems very rare, is that once you get an animal, um, 
you know, let's say you get it from a shelter or whatever, it's just like, okay, they, you know, they, they give you some basic information and then you're pretty much on your own. Um, again, I, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm just thinking what you provide seems to be kind of really a, should be a benchmark for every other rescue operation to really follow. Well, I mean, I think so. I think a lot of rescues will take animals back. I don't know that they would take them back necessarily ten years down the road. And you know, the reality of is is the reality of it is that if we literally were taken up on that offer, we'd be in a world of hurt because we're yeah. adopting out several hundred animals a year. And if they all started coming back, you know, I, I I could see why people might not want to offer that type of a guarantee because where are you going to put them? But we've been super lucky in the, you know, the years that we've been in business since 2017 when we started that we've probably had, I mean, I can count on, you know, two hands, how many, and probably maybe even just one hand, how many animals we've actually had that have come back to us, you know, down the road. Sometimes, sometimes animals will come back shortly after they're adopted because it just wasn't a right, a right fit once they got at home. But mm -hmm. for the most part, we, we have really good luck with people, you know, with matching people to the right pets so that they don't come back. And that's good. And that is, a, that is a definitely a good thing. So what are the joys of overseeing a an animal rescue and outreach organization, and what do you see as being some of the challenges that you've you've encountered? I, I mean, the joys definitely are. It's I mean, it truly is saving lives. I mean, we save lives daily, uh, whether it is a you know a newborn kitten that uh, that somebody found that doesn't have a mother, or the mother's deceased, or something like that, and we're able to take that animal in and provide it with the 24 hour care that it needs and feeding and, you know, and, and have that animal survive. That's huge. Um, I think also that, you know, being able to help shelter pets, you know, with something as simple as a Facebook fundraiser can mean the difference between life and death for an animal that's not going to get medical treatment when it's, when it's in a shelter. Um, and I think also seeing people, seeing people, so thrilled when they get the right pet for them uh yeah. you know the looks on their faces when you take that photo when they leave the facility and they're everybody's smiling and the kids are thrilled or the even better are the follow-up photos when they keep in touch with you i've got people that have kept in touch with us years later and i'm still getting pictures of dorian gray the the gray kitten and and his adventures through life and he's probably 10 10, 12 years old now. Mm -hmm. So that's that's definitely uh, a rewarding part of the process for sure. Um, the challenges, of course, are, are many. Um, I, I won't get into too many of the, you know, sometimes it can be really sad. Uh, sometimes animals don't make it. Sometimes by the time they get to us, they are so far, um, so debilitated or so medically, you know, in the hole, for lack of a better term, that there's no pulling them out, no matter how much veterinary care, no matter no matter how much love and attention, um, and yeah. and also it's sad when we have to turn people down. You know, when when people need um, help from us to take an animal in, like right now we are over capacity, and I'm hoping that too much barking is not being picked up on your recording here, but it just adds a little ambiance. But uh, you know, I've got I've got dogs living in my house now and I've got a dog in my dining room, a dog in my family room, a dog in the hallway because we don't have any more, you know, cage space uh -huh. or foster space. So that that gets hard when people call and they're, you know, they found something and they're just desperately looking for someone to take it off their hands and you have to say I'm sorry, I can't help you. You need to keep looking. Uh -huh. That's a definite challenge. 
Well, one of the things I, I and I've had other, you know, dog advocates, animal advocates on the podcast, and I mm -hmm. told them, I said, if there's a dog that's barking um, or needing your attention or decides that they want to jump up and be a part of the podcast, that's not going to get edited out <laughs> because that's a, that's a part of who you are. Um, and we can add some ambiance too. So, yeah. you know, that, that's, 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 you know, we, I, I try to represent our guests in as genuine an environment as possible. Um, and for, for dog and cat owners and animal lovers, animals are going to be a part of the, part of the, the deal. So I'm, I'm good with that. I'm okay, good with good. that. <laughs> um, how would a potential dog or cat owner know if a rescue animal is right for them? Are, are there any like guidelines or things that we should be aware of if we were going to adopt a rescue animal, whether it be a dog or yeah. a cat? Yeah, I, I think, you know, number one would be doing, your, you know, doing your homework. And what I mean by that is it, it kind of goes beyond researching breeds because most of the time when you get a rescue, it's going to be a mixed breed animal. And, you know, and even within breeds, there's a wide range of personalities for, for animals. So, but, you know, if you are looking to go, because there are breed specific rescues. If you want a golden retriever, there's a rescue for that. If you want a, a Bichon, you, there's a rescue for that. So if, if you've got it in your head that you want a particular type of, of animal, do your homework on that animal. What does that animal need physically, emotionally, exercise? Because people do make a lot of, I've done it myself. I, I had a Doberman Pinscher and I love that dog. He was a beautiful dog. But our lifestyle, which is relatively sedentary, was not a good fit for his life, which needed lots and lots of exercise. And then when they don't get what they need, they get into mischief. So do your homework on the kind of animal that you're that you're looking for, for sure. Realize that when you go to most rescues, and this is actually a really good tip, because most of the times when people go looking for a pet, they're going to go online to various websites that, mm -hmm. that we all hook into, and they're going to search for something. I mean, you can just search for a dog, but you know they might search for a Labrador. And realize that all those Labradors that come up are, you know, probably 90% of them the person has no idea whether it's a Labrador or not. If it looks like it, we label it like that. And and a lot of times the software forces us to, you've got to put a breed in. Well, I don't know. I didn't DNA test him. And even that's not, you know, 100% accurate. And most rescues won't do that because it's about $100 per animal to, to DNA test. So realize that you're getting a mixed breed, uh, you know, a mixed breed mutt, for lack of a better term. And so once you kind of made that decision then obviously you want to look for rescues that have good reputations reviews are not everything but i definitely would look at those um, i would find out about what their policies and procedures are related to what kind of animals do they bring in what kind of care is provided before you adopt what kind of support would you get afterwards um, that will all help you kind of make sure that you're going to have what you need support wise and then it's a matter of visiting with the animal i think it's it's Sometimes people are very much swayed by a photo that they see online. You know, that face was calling out to me or he looks so sad he needs me. And that's great. And you know, that if that's the reason that gets you thinking about adopting a pet, great. But make sure that you really do want and need a pet and make sure you get to know that pet because the pet that you see in a photo doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the same pet that you have when you get it home. And once you get it home, it should be a commitment. I mean, it shouldn't be a, I've had it for 24 hours and it's not working out, so I want to get rid of it. I mean, ideally, we want you to hang on to that animal for life. And so 
getting to know that animal well and spending time with it, even if it's in multiple visits. Don't feel that pressure like, I've got to get this animal now because it might get adopted. Well, it might. And that just means, you know, maybe it's not meant to be. And the one that you're meant to have is that next one that you come across because uh, it it is really important to, to make sure it's a fit. And then one, one last thing I would say too is talk to the rescue too. If you're on the fence or you're not 100% sure when you're meeting the animal, you know, at a pet store or at somebody's home or at a facility, ask them if they'll do an overnight or a what we refer to as a foster to adopt so i mm-hmm. might take this animal for a week or two weeks and make sure it's a good fit sometimes they can do it sometimes they can't but it's worth it's worth a question before you make that commitment that now i own this animal and feel a different level of obligation to it versus a, a trial run because that's one other thing that people are sometimes surprised about is that the animal that they see on the first day that they get home is not going to be the animal that they see 72 hours later. <laughs> and we, we kind of joke around that around here is we'll pick up an animal and it's so quiet and it's so well behaved and it doesn't do anything. Well, that's because it's terrified and it's in a new environment mm-hmm. and it doesn't know what the rules are. Three days later, it's eating my furniture. And that's an extreme example, but it has happened. So you really do need to get to know that animal and let that animal decompress a bit before you really get to see their true personality and their habits, good, bad, and otherwise. Yeah, I think all of that makes sense. I like the idea of doing a trial run to do a foster trial run. I like the idea of being aware of your own lifestyle habits and asking yourself, is a particular pet going to be a good fit for me? And I think, like Mm -hmm. you said, the, the bigger breeds, from what I understand, you know, need to be exercised or else they get really, they really get uh, uh, feisty, they get irritable, they start, you know, getting hyper. And yeah. I, I know for my wife, Sherry and I, when we love animals, I love, we love dogs and cats, but for our lifestyle, cats were a better fit. Um, just because right. we knew that we could not offer a dog, you know, the same type of care, the same type of love. And to me, Knowing our limitations is really important when we pick an animal because if we're saying I can't take a specific animal because it's not going to fit my lifestyle needs and taking that animal just because I want an animal is going to be more hurtful to the animal than helpful, then to me it's an act of love by just staying back and saying, hey, you deserve to be someplace where you're going to be well taken care of, you're going to be well treated, and you're going to live happy for however long as you live, as you as you live in this world. So I think all of that is really good. A lot, of, And you're right, I think a lot of times we don't take that into account because we're so enamored with the physical looks of the dog. He looks, he or she or looks so cute that we don't take the time to think, is this going to be an appropriate fit? Right. Well, and, that, and that's especially true for puppies and kittens. I mean, uh, every single day I probably get 12 or 15 calls from somebody who you know, I adopted a puppy from my cousin or I got this puppy from a rescue and it was all fine and good when the puppy was this big, <laughs> you know, when it's, you know, when it can fit in your arms. Now the puppy's an 80 pound puppy. The person hasn't had the time to train them because they work 12 hours a day and they're living in an apartment and all heck is breaking loose at this point. And then they want to surrender it. And even if you, you know, it, it not only is it, uh, emotionally difficult for somebody to give up the pet and it's going to be difficult for the pet to now suddenly change environments and go back if you can even find a rescue to take that animal at that point or the rescue that you adopted from has space to take it back but 
the adoptability of that animal is now greatly diminished because it's easy to adopt out small puppies. It's difficult to adopt out a teenage puppy that hasn't been trained. It's still not mm -hmm. house trained. And now you want to just hand it back to me and I've got to figure out how to make that work for somebody else. It's just, it, it, you really do need to think about your, you know, where are you living? What is your lifestyle? We get a lot of people who, you know, they, they got a dog two years ago and now they're having a baby. It's like, okay, when you got married, did you ever talk about the fact that you might have children in the next two years and whether having a husky or a German Shepherd or some large dog is going to be a good fit for your lifestyle with that. So. Yeah. And I, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's like a dog or a cat become a member of our family. So we have to also ask not only how do they fit with the individual owner, but how they're going to fit within the family structure, you know, in Absolutely. the household with the other children, all of that has to be taken into account. And I think this is all very good information, Amy. And I can see why you, you your organization is as impactful as it is because it's all the attention to detail that that um, a lot of a lot of my listeners I'm sure may not have taken into account so I really appreciate the nature of the conversation and what you're sharing with us so it's great thank you thank you and you know one thing I would like to say too is that when people don't get you know some rescues are on a spectrum just like anything else there's ones that are super super strict and have lots and lots of rules and regulations and there are others that are you know maybe a little bit more loose or maybe your local shelter you walk in you say you want that one and they're going to send you out the door with it so you're kind of responsible for making good decisions in those situations but mm -hmm. i would say too that sometimes people get very offended when we don't pick them to adopt an animal because we do have an application process and sometimes we because we have that knowledge that experience all of that background we can already see the train wreck getting ready to happen with what you're trying to do and it's almost protecting you from yourself and people don't always appreciate that um so you know try not to take it personally it's you know it's all it is is the rescue trying to do the best that they can, not only for the animal, but for, for you and for everybody, everybody involved. And, you know, we may not be perfect and maybe we made a mistake by denying you, but it is what it is. And you just kind of need to move on from that. Well, I think any organization needs to do what's in the best interest of their clients. And in any case, the clients are the dogs and cats that are, are you adopt, you know, for the rescue and that are, are given to you for the rescue. And you have to make sure it's an appropriate fit. Um, right. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in ethical practice. Goes, even if it's in an industry that may not be regulated, I think we as the, the individuals in that industry have control and we can put our own ethical blueprint in terms of, in terms of um, you know, making determinations that's in the best interest for families and in this case for the dogs and cats that uh, you have been you have been uh, uh, tasked to service so right so how can owning a rescue animal enrich the quality of life of those who have it and how can a rescue animal can't you see a rescue animal helping us navigate through very significant life challenges I mean, I think, you know, there's a, there are a lot of people who believe that rescue animals are more grateful than another animal that might be purchased. I, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I just think that animals, they respond to the energy that they're receiving from the people around them. So if you are treating them in a loving and compassionate way, then they are going to be loving and compassionate in return. Um, I think they're a lot more intuitive than people give them credit for, uh, 
you know, it's it, it's always amazing to me that it seems like my dog will know when I'm having a bad day or a down day and just kind of come over and be, instead of being a wild maniac, just kind of come over and just be calm and, and just put her head next to me, that kind of thing. So I think that they're, um, you know, they're, they're, I mean, dogs were basically, you know, uh, domesticated to be human companions, you know, millions of years ago. And so mm -hmm. the it, dogs especially, I think, are are going to be by your side no matter what. They don't care if you're in a bad mood. They don't care if you've had a bad day. They just they just want to be with you and they just, you know, want to want that that connection with you as a human being. And it, as for the second part of your question, you, you'd said difficult. I just want to make sure I caught that right. Was it about be going through difficult times? Yes. How, how a rescue animal can help us navigate difficult life challenges or life challenges. Well, I think on a couple of different levels. I think sometimes when we look at a at rescue animal, especially if we if we know its history, the fact that they are so incredibly resilient, the things that they that they've gone through, and that they still can be loving and compassionate and and um, just happy to happy to see a human being when maybe a, a human being has not cared for them properly in the past or has downright abused them that they can kind of let that go and move on and i think that's probably a good a good lesson lesson for us that we can be just as resilient that they're you know that you can move forward from whatever it is that you might be going through and that um you know that there is benefit to doing that sometimes you do need to move move forward you know it may not be move on or it may not, may not be forget, but it might be it might be just simply moving forward from a difficult circumstances the best that we can, because you know tomorrow's another day. Yep, and I like moving forward. I use that when I when I companion individuals who are going through grief. It isn't about moving on from grief; it's moving forward and learning how to integrate our grief, because um, moving on tends to be kind of. Can, can have some negative connotations for the person that it's directed to. And again, depending on where they're at in their journey, but in most cases, the individuals who I've worked with who have had issues with, with loss, whether it's loss due to death or loss not due to death, really take umbrage with the, with the term moving on because moving on, which doesn't mean I have to forget. No, moving forward means you move forward in your life with the memories of your loved ones intact. And that also includes our pets because pet loss is also a very significant, uh, very significant type of loss that um, needs to be acknowledged as well too. So, and as somebody, yeah, absolutely. Who's a, as somebody who's a pet owner, I've, I've transitioned to Rainbow Bridge, at least seven, seven of my beloved animals. So, um, and that has all, each one of those is carried with it a very significant relationship the significant role that they played in my life and, and, a, and some deep, deep grief as well, too. So, um, but yeah, I, I thank you for, you know, you know, for that, for your, your insight and your uh, perceptions of, of the roles that our rescue animals can play. So, so with that, please give our listeners one or two takeaways from your life path or journey that can help them effectively navigate life challenges? Oh, wow. Um, 
I have to think on that one for a second. Well, I, I, I think for me, because I have been through, I mean, you know, not just in the rescue, you know, dealing with life and death, but, you know, I did lose my husband to COVID in 2020, um, you know, and have had some other challenges that have come up since then, since then, is that I've, I always kind of, it's, I think it is focusing on that issue of, of moving forward. It's like, I, I, just constantly ask myself when I find myself in difficult situations, what's the alternative? You know, what am I going to do? I can either just sit here and cry about it or, you know, wallow in it, or I can move forward or do something productive with my time, with my energy or with that, with that grief. And I think that's, that was kind of indicative in starting, starting the rescue. I mean, that was the thing that pushed me from being a, I wouldn't say quite a sideliner, you know, because there's a lot of sideliners, I think, in, in life. And, you know, it's, it's, and I, and we love them to a certain degree. It's great to have people who are supporters and follow things on Facebook. But when you have something significant that happens that pushes you from the sidelines to the playing field, that's where your life can take a whole completely different direction. And so taking that grief and putting that into some type of action or taking that tragedy like we did with Emma's and putting that into some kind of action is, um, is how, we, I, how I add meaning to my life. Um, I, I just think that being able to turn those situations into something that's productive, not only for myself, giving myself something to focus on mentally, physically, but also something that's helping. I mean, we help animals, we help people, we help, you know, uh, the rescue groups that are out there that are that are struggling that need further support and so that gives my life a lot of purpose and i'll tell you um i did see a picture of emma on your website she's a beautiful young lady and whenever with because of my own experience with having lost a, an adult child when i i heard when i read about Emma, and i read about hers being the inspiration for uh for the starlight outreach and rescue uh, my heart immediately went out to her family and her parents because as somebody who's had that experience, um, I, I can relate to that. Um, and so, and I, I think then the, the fact that Emma remains an inspiration, her legacy will live on through your, through your work. And I think that's great. Um, so if people wanted to contact you, how can they get in touch with you? Where can they find you? Um, what's the best way to, uh, and find out more about you and your services? Well, we, we have a website. Um, so it's, uh, it's starlightoutreachandrescue.org and the and is spelled out. We're also very, very active on Facebook. We do a lot of our communication on Facebook, a lot of our fundraising, a lot of advertising events that we have coming up. So we love Facebook followers from wherever you are in the world. You don't have to be in the Houston area. We won't rope into volunteering scooping litter boxes or anything like that but uh to have that that following on social media and sharing our message and our activities is is really helpful and you know people are always if you have a question specifically for me my my email is really easy it's amy at starlightpettalk.com and so feel free i mean i'm always open i get a lot of people who will anything from advice for a current pet to how do I start a rescue and everything in between. And I'll uh, be happy to help where I can. And, and trust me, from the, the conversations I've had with Amy before the podcast, she will help in any way that she can. That's how committed she is to 
to adoption and rescue and to the uh, Starlight Outreach and Rescue in particular, um, and just, you know, making sure that the beautiful animals that she has in her care get matched up with the with the really, really caring families. And I, I love the work that you do, and geez, hopefully we can uh, do a return engagement at some point, Amy. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate being here and being uh, having the chance to connect with your listeners. It's uh, It's always a pleasure. Well, thank you. And with that, that is another wrap of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm Dave Roberts signing off, but before I do so, I wish you peace. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode, and please remember to share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both.